HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. HRN is offering complimentary business memberships to 50 Black, Indigenous, People of Color-owned food businesses this summer. The deadline to apply is July 31st. Each business membership, a $500 value, is an advertising opportunity that will allow businesses disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 to connect with HRN's listening community and promote their work. To apply and review the terms and conditions, go to heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. Today's program is brought to you by Roth Cheese, a trailblazer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, Zara Tangora and Bobby Comforto. Hello, everyone. Um, uh, how is everybody doing in 2020? Hellscape. It's tough out there, folks. It's hot. It's tough. It's hot and tough. Um, we miss you and we miss being in the studio and we miss a lot of stuff, and I'm sure you all do too, but thanks for tuning in to us. And today, we actually have a special episode, which was pre-recorded, as you'll tell from the intro, almost a year ago, um, a couple listener letters. And we've been so excited to you know, speak with our regular guests that we've put off releasing this listener letter episode for quite some time. Um, but we're really psyched to share it with you, and we just wanted to mention that um, again, obviously, being that it was recorded such a long time ago, it makes no mention of um, what's going on currently in the world. And we kind of had some reluctance to re- release it because of that. But actually, upon re-listening, I thought it was just interesting to listen to how life was a year ago. Um, kind of just offers some perspective, you know, Again, hot and tough, tough and hot now. Um, And I don't know, just a little bit more perspective and appreciation for uh, just when life is kind of banal and normal. Um, 
And also, you know, it felt hopeful because even though things are crazy now, um, hopefully we're taking out the important stuff that we need to learn from this time. And uh, obviously some really important and good things have happened, like the Black Lives Matter movement, despite the fact that it's obviously born out of such terrible things that have happened to people in the black community and people of color. um, What's happened as a result is, you know, very, very, uh, very good news. And I hope we all hope that it's just, you know, the beginning of a life and centuries long, um, push towards equality and not that it will take centuries to get equality, but hopefully that this movement, it is a movement and not a moment. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's important. It's one of the only good things that's really happening now in this otherwise sometimes very dark time. So anyway, um, back to the listener letter episode. We are so grateful for everyone who writes into the show and we're really looking forward to doing more of these listener letter episodes and hopefully we can maybe release them in like little mini-sodes so we can get our regular week's episode and the listener letters going on at the same time. So we really, again, hope that you guys are hanging in there and please feel free to reach out, processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please check out all the other amazing shows on HRN. Um, Great network, great shows. They're all so different and... um, Yeah, we hope that you enjoy the episode and we love you and thank you for listening and goodbye. Hey, Saz. Hey, what's going on? So you just had a stressful ride over here in a cab, huh? Yeah, I came from Atlantic Terminal when I got in the cab. He had no idea how to get here, but it was interesting. So it's one of those days that a girl goes through unhappy inside, don't want to take it out on you. Yeah, it's one of those days. It's kind of rainy here in the New York City area. It's like the first cold day that we've had this fall. The rest of September was a gorgeous, beautiful month. Yeah, And yeah, so it's kind of like one of those interesting days because I think during summertime, that warm weather gives you a lot of opportunity to kind of feel blissed out. And then that that first cold, rainy day can sometimes be a little bit of a... And you feel freer in your body when it's warm. When yeah. it's cold and rainy, you start to tighten up a little bit. Yeah, That's all crunched what up. I noticed. Yeah. All crunched up. How was your week? It was pretty good. I'm doing yeah. good. Yep. Working hard and glad to be here. Intense, huh? We did have an intense week. We spent some hospital time. It was a lot of feelings and emotions and things going on. Everything is fine, but we did have some some interesting health scares in the family this yes. week. And it was pretty it was pretty crazy. How are you glad, feeling about it? I'm glad to be here right now. Yeah. Did yep. it give you a dose of perspective? Yeah. You know, when you have a health scare, it's always a reality check and it it really helps you appreciate what you do have. It's interesting though, because you spend so much time internalizing and in your job and your line of work as a bereavement therapist, you spend so much time internalizing and hearing about other people's stories with trauma and grief. And I would imagine there's something about hearing that all the time. I, I'm just hypothesizing about your own emotions, but that it, it would must be strange for you to feel like in the mix of it when it happens, when something potentially could be happening to you. Does is that accurate? Yeah, what was interesting, I had to interweave being worrying that I was sick and then I had to be working with somebody the next minute and then back to thinking about myself being sick and then working with somebody. So I was kind of going in and out, but it helped me be more present actually with the people. So how... So without saying too much and divulging your entire medical history, <laughs> you had a scare this week that something could have been wrong. And 
knowing that things do go wrong and see and hearing these stories from people all the time, like what what was going through your head? Did you have any tools to calm you down or were you purely anxiety ridden? If you were no, just anxiety ridden, that's fine I, too. I couldn't. I think working always helps me get to be very present. So the minute somebody is in front of me in my office, I have to let go of whatever is going on for me and I have to be present. And so that helps a lot. It really helped to work a lot. Did you find food to be any part of a comfort of the process? What what happened food-wise with this whole scare? Actually, interestingly enough, um, just to be more specific, I had a scare with my heart and I had to have a catheterization, which is a pretty intense process. It yeah. turned out fine. I am fine. But right after it was over, you were, you joined me and helped me and that was great. And then you left. And Rob and I, my husband, um, afterwards decided to get some dinner. Yeah. So we went to our favorite restaurant and I couldn't wait to eat. I was so excited. And I had something I love. I had um, sole franchise and, and pasta. And it was delicious with a lovely franchise sauce. Oh, man. And Rob was eating shrimp franchise. And there was one little dark shrimp on his plate. And, you know, we didn't pay much attention. And he normally really watches what he eats. Yeah. But we were so excited and we we're celebrating that I was well. And he ate the last brown shrimp and proceeded to get food poisoning. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> so terrible. That was interesting. Well, so the lesson here, <clears throat> I guess, the big takeaway of this whole thing is to never eat a brown shrimp. Shrimp, exactly. Yeah. Shrimp are meant to be pink. <laughs> exactly. And if something looks off. Yeah. Trust it. If you see something, say exactly. something. Exactly. Say something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. right. So we got a listener letter. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. It was a beautiful letter. We've been getting a couple of these, and um, please keep them coming. I mean, we're going to give some directives and su- suggestions, I should say, for topics we would love to hear from you guys about. But uh, for now, people have been kind of just sending things that they feel like are applicable to the show. And some people have questions, some people want to share their stories. So this is kind of a melange of a question and a story. And I found it to be really interesting. And then it got us to both thinking about a topic that is, uh, I guess, what would you call it? Like a grief kind of coping mechanism? It's pro- really a, a concept process. in grief. The truth is, is that we used to think that grief was a linear process. Okay. And that we went from you know, accepting the reality, letting go of the loved one, and entering our new life. Right. But continuing bonds, which is what we wanted to talk about today, is really a a nonlinear model. Mm. And it means that we grieve our whole life. So we can't think of just letting go and moving into our life. It's at the same time as we move ahead in our life, we're also still holding on. Right. So we're going to discuss today the concept of continuing bonds. It's a model, a new model of bereavement. Um, contrary to the old model, which thought that we the important thing is to let go, and that's the healthy thing, just yeah. let go. And it was almost like a pathology to hold on. Right. Okay. Well, it, so this letter, I think, really perfectly plays into this concept that we're going to talk about today, yes. and it has to do with food. So, hi, Bobby and Zara. First off, I love the show. As someone who has experienced several significant losses throughout my life, your show feels like a warm blanket and a welcome reminder that I am not alone in my pain. That's very sweet. Um, As a teenager, I lost my father in a car accident. I was one of four children, and our family actually managed to stay together and thrive after this death. That's not to say we weren't completely broken and devastated, but with my mother's strength and guidance, we were able to heal over the years and continue to have a relationship with him via the things he enjoyed. My mother and father had a magical relationship. They were fun and spontaneous and crazy in love with each other. 
My mother was wrecked by his death, but somehow managed to endure in her grief and make a point of celebrating the things that made him so special with us kids, primarily food. My father was a tremendous cook, and after his passing, we would prepare and eat his favorite things. Every Sunday, my mother would make his lasagna, and every Thanksgiving, his sausage stuffing and chocolate pecan pie. Every night, she'd fix herself a martini, gin, on the rocks, two olives, just like they used to have together before he died. She'd sit alone, either in front of the fireplace or on the porch, and drink and talk with him, sometimes aloud, sometimes in her head. When we cooked the things that he used to make for us, we'd talk about him and laugh and cry about him. We'd cook We'd laugh and cry about him when we were cooking and eating, and while it seems impossible now to imagine, we could muster the strength to face our sadness in that way. It felt natural. It made sense. I'm now 48, and I have two kids of my own, 16 and 19. 14 months ago, my husband of 22 years died from a massive heart attack. He was the picture of health, but had an undiagnosed heart condition and dropped dead while on a run one day before work. I was destroyed. I could not see the light. I could not make jokes or lasagna like my mother had. I couldn't get out of bed for almost two months. My kids needed me. They were suffering too, but I couldn't be there for them for a while. Certainly not the way my mother had been there for us kids. My husband had also been a wonderful cook. We grew up to be just like our parents, don't we? Like it or not. He made pancakes every Sunday morning for the kids, basically their whole lives. It was a tradition that we rarely ever missed. I wish more than anything that I could make pancakes for the kids, or at least for my son, who is still in high school. But I hate pancakes now. Pancakes make me cry. Pancakes make me throw up. Pancakes are my enemy. If there's a pancake in a commercial, I have to change the channel. If they're at a diner, I need to excuse myself and look the other way. My daughter asked me one Sunday morning, a few months after my husband passed, if we could do pancakes for breakfast again. And I simply said no and went into the downstairs bathroom and vomited. And this pancake aversion applies to almost everything my husband and I shared, which was almost everything. I think of my mother and how she made it all look so easy and natural, and I'm embarrassed and enraged with myself that I can't do the same. I feel like if I could bring myself to do some of these things, to listen to Bob Dylan or go to the beach or make pancakes, I could continue the relationship we used to have in some way. But I'm scared. What's normal here? How can I be more like my mother? How can I make pancakes again? Sincerely, heartbroken and hungry. Oh, our sweet listener, heartbreaking, heartbroken and hungry. Yeah, that is a very, yeah. very sweet and very yeah. sad letter. And so much, there were so many things that struck me about this letter. I mean, first off, what a strange irony and that the mother, that she lost her uh, father basically at the same age that her mother was and then suddenly lost her husband. It's just one of those things. It's like almost cinematic. It's so awful and heartbreaking i don't know how it's that called complicated grief yeah and compounded grief and it happens and what happens i call it the well of grief yeah. and i think every loss we have brings up our other losses right so truly dear listener um you are experiencing your previous loss at the same time as you're experiencing this loss right so no wonder it's so hard to overcome so you know, it's interesting also when when I was reading this letter, I was really struck with that uh, something that you excel at is that you are great at being able to celebrate in the face of adversity. And we've talked about this before a little bit on the show. It's something that grandma, who had been a Holocaust survivor and endured many traumas in her life, was good at. 
you have the capacity to, I I call it compartmentalizing because that's what it feels like to me. And I imagine that you have to do that often in your work and you put things in certain boxes because they can't possibly all mesh together. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to work. But I also think it's something from your heritage and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but, um, it struck me that you do this. You're able to do this and I can do it a little, but I also, I also fall apart. Like when dad died, I, totally was like, I can't get out of bed for months. And I, I could enjoy some of the things and the things you tried to do with me. You know, we would drink Manhattans and do stuff kind of similar to what the heartbroken and hungry is talking about, but I have a hard time. So tell me a little bit about how you're able to do continuing bonds and who can do it and who can, and is it normal to do it? And is it not? Well, I think I'd like to respond to our, our writer heartbroken first. Yeah. Um, and I think that she's not her mom. I wanted to say, I want to say to you, you're not your mom. Yeah. And you're you. And you're going to grieve in your own way. And you were inspired by your mom and you feel now disappointed in yourself, but you are not her. Mm-hmm. So you're going to find, this is your own journey in grief. And it's compounded by the fact that it's a trauma. Mm-hmm. So trauma is very different than just, I say, regular grief. All grief feels traumatic. Right. But her husband died suddenly as her father died suddenly. Can I ask you a question? Sure. I just want to sideline for yeah. one second because you said regular grief. What is regular grief? Well, what I meant by that, and I caught myself. Yeah. You know, if our 90-year-old parent dies, we're expecting them to die. We know right. they're going to die. We feel great loss. And death itself can be very traumatic, but it's not sudden. Right. It's not the timely fashion of an elderly parent dying. is sure. very different than your young husband dying yeah. or your father when you're 15 years right. old. Okay, got it. So it, that's what makes it complicated. So I guess it's not regular. It's really kind of – can't even find so, the word. <laughs> I, I mean, I think we all yeah. understand. Yeah. Right. Okay. So so um, what I want to say to you, um, dear Heartbroken, is that um, time heals, but it's what we do at the time that heals. And I think you have a good sense of what – you want to do. You're just not ready to do it yet. You know, I think of a story. I like, I love to tell the story. It's a movie called Under the Sand. It was with Charlotte Rampling. Ooh. And I don't think you ever saw it, Sarah. It was no, in I 2000. Don't. And it's about this woman, and she has this wonderful vacation. It's partly in French. Okay. And her and her husband go to this beach resort, and they go there all the time. And it's kind of an empty beach that they go to. And um, she's ready to fall asleep, and she asks him to rub suntan lotion on her back. And he does. And she kind of falls asleep and he goes off swimming and he doesn't come back. Oh, she God. wakes up and he doesn't come back. Oh, that's dark. So, that no, is dark. But the interesting part of this story is that he disappears and she comes back into her life. And for about one year, she acts and speaks as if he's still there. She sets the table for him. Oh. She, When she's cooking, she makes food for him. She speaks to her friends as if he's there. And everybody thinks she's crazy. Yeah. But truly, she wasn't crazy. Because of the trauma, the traumatic element of it, her grief was a little different than what somebody else might do if they anticipated the grief. Right. So, right? yeah. So in her case, um, she she wasn't following that linear model we were talking about before where yeah. she could just, oh, I accept it and I let go. Sure. She had to hold on to him. She needed to hold on to him yeah. because the trauma required her to act as if for a period of time that he was still there. Right. So I think it's a good example that that's, in a way for her, that was natural and normal. That was what she needed to do. 
And I think for our listener, for our writer, heartbroken, she's just not ready. You know, she, I think she has the sense that she wants to make pancakes. She said it. And maybe the time will come that when her daughter asks her mom, can we make pancakes together? They'll do it. Maybe not. Right. But I think the trauma aspect of the fact that this is compounded trauma with her, she's overwhelmed. She's shattered. She's dealing with not just the loss of her husband, but re-grieving the loss of her father. Right. So, but it's interesting because children very spontaneously know that they want to continue bonds. That's why the daughter was able to say, please, can we make pancakes? Right. And why because she, she wanted to feel her father with her. Right. And why she as right. a child was able to be able to do right. some of this stuff. You know, often, you know, parents who lose a spouse, um, because they have their kids, their kids become like teachers because the kids have this natural intuition of what they need to do. It's too hard to expect that you just let go of somebody you love. How do you just, how do they just disappear as they did in, under the, in the movie, Under yeah. the Sand? How does a person just disappear? Because that's what it feels like. It does. I actually, a friend of mine once said after his father died, he said, I just keep like wondering when he's going to come back. Exactly. You know, where are you? Where are you? Like, are you still dead? That was the thing that was the really hit me hard. Like I'm saying, are you still dead? And it is, it is quite confusing. It really is. You know, actually the definition that I give my clients about what grief is, uh, grief is about accepting the reality of the loss. We never accept it and say it's okay, but even just that it's real and over and over again, we can't believe that it's real. Okay. So I have a big question here. Why, and maybe you don't know the answer to this either, but I'm really like the thing that really interests me about this letter is aside from people's personalities being different, which of course, right? Like people coping. I have a theory about why, but why do you think that the mother, that the letter read heartbroken and hungry's mother was able to, from a seemingly, and we don't know all the details about this, any of these people really, but why do you feel like the mother was able to celebrate and why was it so difficult, in your opinion, for Heartbroken and Hungry to be able to do the same? N- having a model, uh, being set up, you know, I don't want to say up for success, but set up and being in, put in a position led by example of how to deal with this exact thing. Why do you think that her instinct was so different? I think that her instinct was to do it the way her mother did. She just was broken. Right. She just is broken right now. Mm. And she can't bring herself to be in a place that she remembered and learned from. She's just not there. Mm. And maybe she'll do it in a different way. Maybe for her it won't be through food. Maybe food is now disgusting for her. Maybe pancakes will always be disgusting. And that has to be okay. It has to be okay. Of course it is. And maybe it's going to come in the form of planting pansies in the spring the way her husband did. Right. Or maybe it's going to be, hopefully it'll be a functional way. Yeah. You know, sometimes, unfortunately, when things are overwhelming, we turn to dysfunctional ways. Right. I mean, that happens sometimes. So the letter writer, Heartbroken and Hungry, uh, sounded the way she made it sound as though her mother was a magical woman who had the capacity to, after the love of her life died and the father of her four children, be able to just pick up and be strong and make wonderful experiences and use that you know, as a tool to grow closer. And that's rare that someone can do But maybe that. she just did that for her kids. Right. Well, what and I- maybe in her bedroom at night when she went to sleep is when she experienced the kind of grief that we're all 
accustomed, accustomed to. to. Sure. And maybe, you know, in working in with um, in different groups that I've led, those that have children have somehow, they tend to put their grief, you know, somewhere in a place mm-hmm. and they attend to the kids. They can't do it right away, certainly, but right. they attend to the kids and they do what they have to do. Well, I have a theory and tell me if you think this is wrong. I have a theory that sometimes even when you see somebody act in a way which you think is mm, impressive or aspirational, right? Like in this case, you know, heartbroken and hungry is saying that. Inspiring. Right, inspirational. Aspirational, inspirational. Um, She's saying that, you know, her mother did this thing that was amazing, but is there any part of her that perhaps feels like um, deep down maybe that – she kind of wished her mother was lying flat on the floor because that is what, you know, we know grief to really look like. And maybe to her somewhere deep in her psyche, the fact that her mother was able to make such a wonderful, like, you know, the cliche of lemons out of lemonade. Maybe she just wanted rotten lemons and that. Do you mean as a child or as what a child? And That's so true. She had, her, there were four kids. Maybe right. they all responded differently. You of know, course they did. I mean, so she, it sounds like a wonderful way to be able to cope and a beautiful thing to be able to do a memoriam of someone who passed that was so significant in your life. But I'm wondering if maybe the reason why she wasn't able to do the same is because uh, somewhere deep down, she found that to be strange, and Could maybe be. she wanted. Maybe she wanted or needed. Us, she to didn't see. tell us in the letter, so we don't really. know. I know, but I feel like it's an in- interesting hypothesis to to make. Well, I would ag- agree with you that out of four kids, each one of them is going to respond very, very differently. They're all different. They're yeah. all different beings, and I'm sure their response to their mom, their mom's reaction when the father died, was all very different. Yeah, but yet. The mom created a sense of spirit in the household, and that helped them. And I think part of what continuing bonds is, the subject of today, is that it can create a safety, a security, a spirit, a comfort, and it doesn't have to make you happy. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're happy and you're celebrating. Right. It can very well be something that helps you move through all the pain and all the darkness and all the grief. But it it becomes a vehicle. It helps you. Yeah. And so it's interesting that there um, there are very many different ways. We're going to discuss food today and the way food and certainly our our um, heartbroken, hungry. Um, yeah. How she has been able to either deal with it or not deal with it. Yeah. Right. She you know she was um, describing one way through food, but there are many many different ways that people continue bonds. And actually, it has to do a lot with the rituals that we create. You know, ritual is a very important word. Um, we think of it in our religions, rituals, Yeah, you know, the formal ways that we have rituals, but every person has personal rituals. And I always like to think of them as bridges across difficult times. Mm. They're the bridge over troubled waters <laughs> and they help us get through. Yeah. So when someone passes, you know, often there's the initial rituals of funerals and wakes and shivas and all the different things that we do. Um, and then sometimes people take um, pictures and put them in certain places. I had a friend of mine who was lovely. Um, her mom died and she did actually didn't get along with her mom. Mm-hmm. And, um, her mom was 76 years old. So she decided that she was going to set up an altar that had her mom's pictures and all different things about her mom. And that for 76 days, she was going to sit in the morning just for about five minutes. Okay. And she was going to think about her mom and it was very helpful for her. So that was a ritual that she created. 
Sometimes um, ways of continuing bonds are adopting certain habits that our, that our um, beloved had. Um, you know, like cooking is one of those things. So they made pancakes in the morning. So yeah. that was a habit that they yeah. had. So they do that. Sometimes it can be talking to them. That's one of the ways that we continue bonds. We sometimes talk to the person who has died in our life as a way to get guidance or to get advice or to tell them about what's been happening in life. But very often people have conversations that are ongoing. It could go on for years. Yeah. I know I still talk to my mom. It's been eight years now and I talk to her. Are you able to... So when grandma died, which was, I guess, what you would explain as a a normal grief because she was in her 90s and we expected it and it was still extremely sad. Did you have any when you would make some of the things that she used to make or do some of the things that she would do, especially I mean, cooking was a huge part of, you know, our life growing yes. up and grandma was a great cook. How did it like how were you how did you feel doing those things? Well, it's a way of deeply connecting. It's almost as if you're putting on their slippers or wearing their bathrobe or... Yeah, but how did you wearing, personally I'm just trying feel? to tell you yeah. that it feels that way. Yeah. That's how it felt to me. It felt like I was stepping into her slippers. Did it make you and sad? I was... I, it made me tender. So it didn't just make me sad. It made me many feelings. I don't think feelings are just one, one yeah. or the other. Did you we cry? We feel multiple feelings. Sometimes I cried and sometimes I laughed and sometimes yeah. I, you know, made fun of her. <laughs> I yeah, did a lot of okay. things. It wasn't just honoring her. You know, I sometimes would think about how silly she was when she did certain things or how difficult she was. Or, right. you know, it's not just celebrating a person when we honor them with the foods that they made, eating them or yeah. making them. But for me, I felt like I was stepping into her slippers. That's really the best way I can describe huh. it. I felt I, I could picture her the years that she made strudel. You know, I remembered when I was yeah. a little girl and she made strudel. And I remembered when... I was older and she made strudel. So it, I, it's like time traveling. That's yeah. kind of what it feels like for me. It's time traveling. Do you think about grandma every time you make strudel? Or do you sometimes Absolutely. at this no. point not think about no. it? No, I always think about her when yeah. I make the food. I, I felt very close to her and food was a way that we connected. Yeah. So I very much think of her every single time. How about you? Um, I feel complicated about those things i feel like the biggest grief i had was dad dying food was a huge part of our relationship and um i also think he ruined his body with food so i mean it's it's complicated right so uh as time gets further and further like you were talking earlier about time healing all wounds it isn't as significant when i cook when I make meatballs. I don't know that I think about him every time that I make a Sunday sauce or lasagna um, or pea soup. Maybe pea soup. Oh, you say there's something. But it doesn't hurt as much. But then sometimes randomly it does just exactly. really hurt. Because grief is not linear. It right. is not. It was thought for one time that it was linear. It is not linear. We grieve our whole lives. We grieve in little moments and little spurts. Yeah. Almost like a rain shower that comes, you know, hits you or a big gust of wind that hits you or a wave that rolls over you. Right. It comes at different times for different reasons. And it doesn't mean you're going backwards. It just means that that's how we experience loss in our lives. So for someone like heartbroken and hungry who's feeling that like she's failing because she's unable to revisit pancakes, right? Because this and, and seemingly a lot of other things. I guess I feel... Personally, like I, I, I'm not 
qualified as you are to say this, but I feel like I don't pressure yourself, right? Like don't push yourself. If pancakes make Absolutely. you vomit, like get you rid bet. of pancakes. However, except how, the kids are there. That's the problem. Well, yes. How also, but you could teach the kids how to make pancakes. They could make them. Right. If that's what they well, need. That, here's what I'm saying. I'm going to say is that like, she seems to have a problem with it. You know, if she was like, fuck pancakes, they're out of my life. I'm, I'm over this shit. Like goodbye. But I don't think she feels that way. Heartbroken and hungry. You seem to feel like you want to make pancakes again. So if someone wants to continue a bond with someone and feels like they can't because it's so painful, what do you recommend for those people? Well, there's the concept of the only way out is through. And it's not a pressure. And Mm. it doesn't mean that she has to do it today. But something inside of her, particularly the voice of her child saying, I want pancakes. Yeah. And it means a lot to me. Something is telling her that she wants to do this. Right. So, you know, it's, I think I told you that my business name is Bittersweet. And there's a reason. You told me? No, I've told the the (laughs) listeners. I was like, yeah, I know. (laughs) So the reason why I named it Bittersweet is because in the beginning, everything feels so bitter. And the hope is that over time, if we can move through the bitterness with compassion, self-compassion, with awareness, with kindness for ourselves, but as we move through the bitterness, there can be the sweetness that we long for. And the sweetness has to do with the feelings of, of continuing bonds and love for the person who has left. Right. But the problem is, is that it feels scary. It feels like a mountain. Right. It feels like, how can I ever climb this mountain? How can I ever get through it? But if we keep avoiding the mountain and we stand in front of the mountain and we never go through, we never get to get to the other side. Yeah. So the avoidance piece is very common in grief. People don't want to go back to the same restaurant that they went to with right. their with their person who they love. Um, heartbroken and hungry doesn't want to make pancakes. It feels too painful. It feels too hard. It feels shattering. Right. I also think that when you're just saying that, it made me think that I think there might be an element to that. When you were specifically saying go to the same restaurant, I started thinking about how there's a shame element involved in that. Because what if you go to that restaurant and you start crying? And you start having a reaction that's terrible. You have to get up in the middle of the thing. So what if you do? Well, listen, what I'm trying to say is that we live in a culture where I feel like, and part of the reason we started wanting to do this podcast is because we live in a culture where grief is not really like widely accepted as it probably should be, right? So people feel, I think, ashamed in their grief, right? Like, what if I start making the pancakes and, like, I can't finish and the kids and see me cry floor, right? and, and or I burn them or they're disgusting or, like, it breaks my heart or somebody else sees it or the kids, like, don't believe me or, like, I go to the restaurant or I go to the park where we used to go and it, like, turns out bad and I'm embarrassed. So what do you think the answer to that is? Um, well, I think, actually, when you were talking about the only way out I was through, it reminded me of some analogy that I made up the other day, although I'm Sure, it probably has been referenced before, but to me, I invented it. Um, I was talking to somebody who was saying that they have a lot of fear and they want to really like conquer their fear. Um, They were talking about relationships, but so I replied saying to them, referencing something that um, a family member of ours used to say that fear is not a stop sign. But uh, in that same kind of train of thought, I was, I said to them, fear is not a red light or a green light. And then it's a yellow light and you can proceed with caution. Beautiful. I love that. And still move through it. And awareness. Right. So what that means, Zara, is that I love the yellow light analogies. Well, I may use that as a matter of Please fact. Please do. <laughs> you can take that one for because free. Because what that means is that if you're moving through a yellow light, 
you have to be very aware, first, yeah. first of all. You have to be um, very conscious of all the things that are happening around you, right? Yeah. And most of all, you have to kind of be aware of yourself inside. So it means I'm not going to go barreling through on a green light. Right. And I don't want to stop in fear either. Right. But I want to proceed. And I'm going to say instead of caution, uh-huh. I'm going to say with awareness and compassion. That's good. That makes more sense. Um, yeah, because I think the answer would be like, you know, you don't have to rush out to the restaurant immediately and say, you know what? I fuck it. I don't care. You can totally, and not everybody can do that. You can not totally be like, like maybe I'll today I'll just make it to the door. Exactly. You, you are know? so right. You know, how many times I've worked with people that have had traumas in a hospital or, um, in a hospital. It's a perfect example. Yeah. Maybe lost a baby or a child yeah. in a hospital and then has to go back again to try to have another baby. Right. And I tell them the same thing, which is, okay, first you do is you get in the car and then you get out of the car. And then maybe next time you can get in the car and you can drive down the block. Right. And then maybe next time you can actually get to the street where the hospital is. Right. Then you have to turn around. So maybe. And maybe right next time you can get to the front door of the hospital. Yes. There's no judgment. That's where compassion comes in. Self-compassion. No judgment. Totally. And so maybe for our letter writer, I mean, I feel like we've really kind of worked through this. And it's very interesting. It's an interesting topic. It's a, and a beautiful letter. It's, a it's beautiful so many different letter. things. Um, maybe for our, our letter writer, it's not about like waking up this Sunday and being like, you know what? I'm going to do it now. I'm going to make the pancakes. Maybe you just go buy some syrup and uh-huh. put it in your cabinet. <laughs> You know so the I mean? name of this episode is going to be called Buy Some Syrup. <laughs> buy yourself a <laughs> bottle of syrup. Exactly. No, but seriously, maybe you just buy syrup, and then maybe next week you buy a, a block of Kerrygold butter. But you know what? And it's also okay for her to say to her daughter, you know, that I really hear how much you want to have pancakes. I'm having a hard time doing it, you know? Yeah, and maybe. Maybe we could think of something else. Pancakes remind me so much of that. And right now it's just too hard. Maybe start with French toast. Maybe we could start with French toast. Yeah. Exactly. That's self-compassion. Right. And that's a yellow light. Yes. Right? Exactly. Love what it. A fantastic <laughs> analogy. A new theory. You're a theory, grief theory. I know. Um, move over. <laughs> Bobby, there's a new grief therapist <laughs> chef in town. Um, so continuing bonds, that's very interesting. Is this kind of a newer uh, theory? Like, Because you said that for a long time, grief has been looked at as being something that's linear, is accepting continuing bonds and having somebody who's able to sit and have a martini with their husband. Um, is that kind of a newer thing that we're uh, like accepting well, in the lexicon not, of grief? It's not seeing grief as linear and it's not seeing it as pathological to want to do the things that our beloved did or eat the things that our beloved ate or mm-hmm. talk to them or talk about them a lot or have pictures all over the house. I knew somebody once who um, his wife loved to cook. And he could not go in the kitchen. It was so hard for him to oh. go back into the kitchen after she died. So he sat down and talked, and he had this brilliant idea of making a giant picture of his wife and putting it up in the kitchen. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's what helped him. Wow. And then he could go back in the kitchen and start cooking. That's incredible. So somebody might have come in the house and said, what is that crazy man having a giant picture in his kitchen, <laughs> right, yeah. of his wife? Yeah. Why would somebody do that? Sure. I mean, somebody might say, I could never do that. That would hurt too much to see that picture. Yeah. But for him, that helped. It was important. Everything is unique to each person. And that's why self-compassion means that I'm also not going to be judgmental towards other people in their grief. I'm not going to be judgmental towards myself, and I'm not not going to be judgmental towards others. Now, some people do have um, a grief 
that becomes, um, um, I don't, I want to call it not dysfunctional, but it becomes difficult for them. It might be that five years later, you know, they're still talking to the person as if they're still there. Right. Um, or they're still setting the table for them or, you know, I've had clients who never change one thing. Right. And it's been six years or eight years. They haven't even removed the toothbrush or the medicine that the person took. And and then I know that there's some struggles, there's some difficulties. Right. There's either some unfinished business or some difficulties in their past, some trauma in their past that's yeah. led to this. You know, but but usually most people, the continuing bonds in relationships are very important. Yeah. All the different ways. Um how about somebody who wants to go to Italy because their father never got to go to Italy? Yeah. And they want to be there. That someone is sitting right <laughs> across from you. Um, totally. And I still, I have a continuing bond with my father who passed away. I, he was cremated and I uh, sprinkled his ashes in various places and some of them even came back. That's another story for another time. Um, but I buried some of his ashes where my grandparents are buried and cause it's a place for me to go and not just see him. But when I go, I talk to him. Sometimes I bring him food. Um, we chat, I ask for advice. I have all kinds of rituals. I buried, I remember when he was still alive and he was dying and very sick and I was worried about him. I buried a key to his house and my gr- grandparents grave so they could go in and check on him. I mean, so, so w- when you look at those things now, what do you call them? What do you think they are? Um, I mean, I think continuing bonds is a good is a good connection way to put it. Yeah, connection. I, think, I don't want to lose connection. I, I don't want to just let go. Somebody just disappears. That's I know. not okay. It's very hard. It's actually yeah. very interesting. I just um, am experienced. I'm experiencing gr- the grief of a breakup, which is not in any way compared to someone's husband dropping dead of you know twenty years, but. Um, it is hard when when people in any way, and I think people do experience this in breakups because breakups are horribly painful as well, honestly. And um, I think figuring out what to do with the missing of someone and the times you spent that were really valuable and important and like wrapping your head around that, okay, you were doing this thing with someone and now you're not. And how do you fill that space in a way that makes you feel like you're not going to rip your hair out? Well, first it's an empty space before you fill it up. Right. And you have to feel the emptiness first. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, I want to read one more letter quickly before we go. Um, And this is a little bit more of, um, this is on the other end of a spectrum. That was Heartbroken and Hungry's letter was very intense and kind of spoke to, the worst pain and the worst loss and you lose your partner and it's devastating and figuring out how to go on. And this is a more lighthearted letter from a friend of mine named Melanie who was kind enough to share a sweet letter, quick note about um, a bond she formed with her grandmother who was a cook. Nice. So uh, this is from Mel. Thank you so much, Mel. It was a brisk day back in 2003 when I received a phone call from my father that changed my world forever. While I was walking on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, I felt my world stop and the imaginary walls around me cave in. My dad's voice had shakily uttered the words, Beanie is in the hospital. She had to have emergency heart surgery. About 12 years earlier, Beanie was on her way home from the butcher carrying pounds and pounds of meat. Throughout the years when she would retell this story, the quantity always seemed to increase. (laughs) That seems like someone I know. Who's sitting right across from me? She got a phone call from my dad alerting her that my mom had gone into labor with me. She threw the meat in the freezer and headed to Lenox Hill to greet her newborn granddaughter. I had no idea at the time or even for years after that how important Beanie would be in my life. 
Beanie was a soft-spoken woman who exuded grace and intelligence in everything she did. She showed me just how important a vehicle uh, of a vehicle food is for bringing people together, cooking feasts for all the Jewish holidays, making trifles with me and my sister during sleepovers, or taking us to the local diner for brunch every weekend. When she cooked, she would barely sit down to eat, and as she wanted to make as she wanted to make sure her family was fed and happy. Her cooking and food were spectacular. You could truly feel the love that went into making it and still taste it years later. That heart, sur- heart surgery was the first of a long list of surgeries and procedures that followed for many years. Throughout it all, Beanie remained resilient, even with her Alzheimer's completely took over and she could barely remember who I was or my name. Unfortunately, Beanie passed away in December of 2009, but the memory she gave me and the love she had for food lives on in me and grows stronger every day. While Beanie can be credited with giving me my love for food, she was taken from us before she could see me develop my love for cooking and consequently my culinary accomplishments. I feel honored to have spent so many years in her presence and because of her, I've made it one of my life's missions to bring people together over food. I might not be able to talk with her anymore, but a photo of her hangs above my dining room table so I know she is always with me, especially when I eat. I thought it was very sweet. Lovely. Melanie is an amazing marketing uh, consultant for the hospitality industry, and she also has a regular business called Gourmel. Oh. She's amazing. So it is kind of an amazing cook and just a real true lover of food in such a significant way. Oh, so I beautiful. thought that was very sweet and kind of a uplifting and maybe like more, uh, I don't know. Nor a normalized sense of grief that you were talking about earlier, a way that people who experience the death of a grandparent can kind of process. Well, that's kind of what we could hope for. It doesn't mean we're there yet. Right. Grief is a process. Right. It's not a destination. It's a process. Totally. Amazing. Well, this was a really amazing episode, and you're so insightful and smart, and it's great to talk to you about these things that I have theories about, but you actually have facts, and you, this is your business. I uh, just also want to encourage anybody who is really struggling to grieve with grief to get help. And if it is overwhelming or you're afraid for yourself or you're thinking about hurting yourself, please call 911 and get help and reach out to your local hotlines. Yeah, your local hotlines. So thank you so much. I love you, Bobby. Love you too, babe. Bye. Today's program is brought to you by Roth Cheese, a trailblazer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth has been making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin for more than 30 years. Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses named Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk, combined with expertise and affinage, is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. When you buy Roth, you know their cheeses will always be made with good ingredients, will always taste good, and will always make you feel good when sharing with friends and family. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. 
Food Radio, supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.